The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Taking a quick break to tell you about Peak Tea, which I've actually used their teas for a very long time. I love them a lot. And one of the main reasons I love this is because of how portable and easy it is to use. So if you guys have tried to travel with tea bags or especially matcha, it's really, really difficult to take with you all the time. But they have these matcha sticks. So it's matcha that comes in a little packet. So you can basically take it with you everywhere. So no matter where you are, you can make matcha on your own, which is very convenient for my lifestyle. Their Sun Goddess Matcha is like the best matcha ever. And if you guys know, and you've tried a bunch of different matchas before, you know they all don't taste the same or they're not all created equal. And this one is so good. It is 100% organic and it's ceremonial grade and quadruple toxin screen for purity. Peak shades their matcha trees for 35% longer. And what this means is extra L-theanine to support calm and chlorophyll to nourish radiant skin. It's full of antioxidants that help support radiant skin and a healthy glow from within, as well as healthy digestion and gut health and healthy weight management and helps manage cravings. This is great as an ideal coffee alternative because it really provides sustained energy without the jitters or crashes from coffee. And it's like meditation in a cup. This matcha is amazing. I love it so much. And it's definitely a part of my daily ritual. So if you guys want to try it for a limited time, Peak is offering an exclusive bundle that includes their sun goddess matcha and a glass beaker, along with two premium bonus gifts, a handheld frother and a seven-day coffee detox book. If you go to peaktea.com slash Mariana and use code Mariana at checkout, you'll receive an additional 5% off this limited time bundle with gifts. So go to peaktea.com slash Mariana to try it today. Hi, I'm Haley Hubbard. Hi, I'm Jessica Diamond. This is our show, Meaningful Living, where we break down the overwhelming amount of parenting, lifestyle, and relationship information into credible and digestible knowledge and tools. Parenting is hard, and the thousands of decisions we're forced to make every day can feel daunting. While we've never had access to so much information, it's never been harder to find the knowledge we need to feel confident in the choices we make. We're sharing completely uncensored information here. It can be messy, but it's always fun and always real. Check out Meaningful Living anywhere you listen to your podcast. It takes a village and we can't wait for you to join ours. Hey, it's Mariana and welcome back to the Life with Mariana podcast. In today's episode, I've got Mava Heim. She is the founder and CEO of Bread Beauty Supply. I love this brand. I feel like if you go to Sephora and you walk around the hair section, you're definitely going to notice it. It really stands out on shelf. But not only is the packaging incredible and I love the branding and marketing, but the formulas are amazing as well. Mava created this brand for herself out of a need that she had for products for textured and curly hair. We talk about her journey from what she did before Bread Beauty Supply, which was so amazing, and then the process of the Sephora Accelerate program, which really helped her get her foot into the door to launching at Sephora, and especially then raising money to really support such a big retail expansion. And speaking of Sephora, I have a little Sephora Summer Fridays news for you. So if you haven't tried it yet, we have a brand new skincare product out. It is called Heavenly 16 because it feels like heaven on your skin. It's an all-in-one face oil, and it's just incredible. So it's called Heavenly 16 because it's It's got 16 types of non-comedogenic oils to use for your skin. This is the best face oil. I'm so obsessed with this, especially as we're getting into fall and winter weather. Our skin gets a little bit drier and I need all the extra hydration, moisturizers and everything on my skin. And I love going to sleep looking like a glazed donut. (laughs) I love to have a lot of moisture on my skin. So at night, I like to use it as the last step in my skincare routine. And in the morning, I apply it after moisturizer before SPF. It wears so well under makeup. I love how it makes my skin look. It's just the best. It is available now at Sephora and Summer Fridays as well as our other retailers. So be sure to pick it up and let me know what you think. So now let's hear from Ava. 
So starting a company is something that's really scary. And I know you have a background in beauty, but never running a business before, what gave you the confidence to start your own brand? That's a great question. I guess I had spent you know, some time working in the beauty industry um, for a really large company. And a lot of the work that we did there was really based around entrepreneurship and kind of like being an entrepreneur within a large company. Even though it was a really big brand, we didn't always have a lot of resources. So you had to be really, really gritty and just get things done and really take a sense of ownership over the brand that you were working on. Um, So I think that that gave me a lot of confidence that, okay, cool, I'm doing this for another brand. I think I could also do this for myself. Um, And in addition to that, you know, my mom was really the ultimate hair entrepreneur. She had an African hair braiding salon um, in Perth growing up, uh, Perth, Australia, uh, where I was born and I spent my childhood. And I was in the salon with her all the time. And so I was watching her work, you know, often seven days a week, 24 seven. And I, I probably got a lot of my entrepreneurial drive from her, even if I didn't realize it at the time. Um, but looking back, I think like, wow, that was kind of my upbringing. That was what I knew to be work. It was just like watching my mom do this all the time. So I think the combination of those things gave me the confidence that I could do it. And I knew that, you know, having done it for someone else, that it would be a leap, but also something I felt confident enough to do for myself and do it the way that I wanted to do it. Of course. And I think, you know, in each experience we have in life, we pick up something that we then apply to our our days later. And, you know, it was your mom growing up. But what did you learn from your corporate beauty background that you applied to your own company? I think the majority of what I learned was really that sense of ownership. It's that sense of this is yours and you are responsible. You know, no one else is going to be responsible for it. Uh, I worked in marketing and brand management. And so our responsibility was really to own the brand. And then every other function was there to support. So everything kind of came back to you as a brand manager. If something wasn't successful, it was you. If something worked out well, it was you. And so you had to take um, ownership and responsibility for basically the entirety of the business and then just leverage those support functions like finance and supply chain and uh, creative and merchandising uh, where you could. So I learned a lot in that process uh, and really just, you know, you could be doing strategy one day and presenting, you know, your strategic plans for the next year to all of the head retail buyers. And then the next day, you know, you're in store stocking out a shelf. Like the, it was really going from one extreme to the other and everything in between. Um, so I think having that breadth of experience based on the brand that I was working on was super helpful because it was like, no job is too small, no job is too big. And you kind of have to do it all, which is really what I find myself doing now with my own company. Yeah, it's definitely the founder mentality of just doing any and everything wherever you're needed. And when you first started the company, where did you begin? Was it with formulas or was it with branding and packaging? Because I've told you before, I love, love the branding and packaging. It stands out so much. And I just think it's so different and I just love it. Oh, thank you. I guess it was kind of a lot of things at once. Um, The first thing that I really knew was that I wanted to create a brand that was very, very different in this space. But that doesn't mean I necessarily developed the brand first. I knew that that was the gap and that's what I wanted to create, but I really focused on product first. It was like, okay, cool. 
I'm not finding this really simple edited essentials product experience where you can just get a routine with a really minimal amount of products and wash your hair really simply and quickly and make it fun as well. And so I tested out so many different products, figuring out what that routine should look like, what the ingredients should be, what ingredients we needed to exclude, um, and really building out that kind of hair care wardrobe first, approaching manufacturers, which having a background in, in beauty and brand management definitely helped. That was always what I led with. You know, I think manufacturers often, you know, they don't really prioritize the little person that's just starting out. And so I would always lead with, hey, I used to work in brand management at X and now I'm building this just to kind of give myself a bit of credibility. But approaching different manufacturers, really nailing down the formulas. And then in conjunction with that, working on the brand and the brand aesthetic, which took a really long time to kind of get to that final piece. But a lot of it was really inspired by this person that I was seeing online who was millennial or Gen Z and really just presenting herself in a very unedited way. It was like very her personality and it wasn't being reflected in the brands that I was seeing. So a lot of what we created was based around that and this muse that I was seeing online. Let's take a quick break to tell you about one of the sponsors, which I really love this one because I'm always trying to find easy ways to upgrade my health routine. And I want to really take the guesswork out of what I have to take, what I have to do in the morning and just make it so easy. And with Athletic Greens, you can do that. Athletic Greens is the most comprehensive daily nutritional beverage I've ever had. And if you don't know what that means, it just means it's one thing with all of the best things. It's one tasty scoop of Athletic Greens and it contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. And they all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid with digestion, and supports a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products or pills. It's really easy for me to take in the morning. I can just put a scoop in there and it really just helps me throughout my day because sometimes I just feel so exhausted and run down or I have poor sleep and stressed. And I feel like the easier I can make my health routine and my daily habits is the better for me. And it's lifestyle friendly, whether you are keto, paleo, vegan, or dairy-free or gluten-free, and it contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. So if you're looking for peak performance or better health, or you need more nutrients in your diet, it's covering your bases with athletic greens, and it makes investing in your energy, immunity, and gut health each day, simple, tasty, and efficient. And right now, Athletic Greens has got you covered for year-round immune support by offering my audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. Visit athleticgreens.com slash life and join health experts, athletes, and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Visit athleticgreens.com slash life and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs today. Now let's hear more from Ava. So many great businesses start with a personal need. What was your why for starting a hair brand? Very interesting because I absolutely never in my wildest dreams thought that I would start a hair care brand, <laughs> even though I had that background with my mom in the salon. I, having worked at this really large beauty company, was getting to the point where I felt like the industry wasn't speaking to me as a consumer and that there were so many women of color and black women, especially who were being left out of beauty conversations. And so I left knowing that I wanted to start a brand and knowing that I wanted to create something within the industry that was hopefully going to push us towards a much more diverse future. But I actually didn't know what the brand was going to be. I just knew that that was kind of the mission. And so it wasn't until I had this like really jarring experience where 
I was on a trip. Um, I was in the United States and I had a chemical hair straightening product in my suitcase. And I went from New York to Colorado. And when I arrived in Colorado, opened up my suitcase and this chemical hair straightener had exploded over all of my stuff. (laughs) And I didn't have access to get another one. We were in the middle of nowhere. And I just decided in that moment that I was going to go back to my natural curly texture. And I had had chemically straightened hair my entire life up until that point. So since I was six or seven years old and had no idea what my natural texture was or how to look after it or what products to use. And once I got access to the shops again, I was like, okay, great. I need to go and find products that are actually designed for my hair type. And that's when I discovered that you know, this entire category had almost been left behind. And it was like I'd gone in a time machine back to 1995 and I couldn't find any brands that I could relate to as a contemporary consumer. And it was also incredibly overwhelming and confusing. And I had no idea what to buy. I just wanted to know how to wash my hair. And I didn't feel like any brands were making that really simple for me. Uh, And so that was the kind of origin of bread. And when I started thinking about this brand that really needed to exist and exist as the basics and staples for that person who is either transitioning away from chemical straighteners back to the natural texture or has had curly and textured hair their whole life, but still hasn't felt included in the hair care space or like she or he could find anything in the hair care space that really felt like it was for them. Which is so amazing. And I love that it came from really like you needing this product. And it really is so unique. And when you're walking around stores like Sephora, you don't see other products like this. So I know the timeline, it takes a little bit longer than I think people anticipate, you know, from raising money and going into retail. So what does your timeline look like from conception of brand to launch? Yeah. When I left my corporate role, I think that was 2016. Uh, And then it wasn't until 2017 that I went on this trip and realized like, oh my God, it's bread. Like this is the brand that needs to exist. Um, And then I actually approached Sephora very, very early on. So this was late 2017 and I was in LA and I was going to an event where I knew there was a Sephora VP speaking. And I thought, this is the opportunity to kind of get in front of them and tell them about what I'm building. Um, I knew I wanted bread to exist in Sephora because to your point, there really wasn't anything like this in there. Uh, And I wanted that person who was going into Sephora and buying her makeup and her skincare to be able to have this option in hair. And so I kind of cornered this VP at this event and told her about what I was building. And she was very gracious and gave me the card for the hair care buyer who I ended up meeting with a few days later in San Francisco and presented literally a PowerPoint. I was like, this is what I'm creating. It's still very early. I have some very early stage samples um, and she really loved it and we stayed in contact from that point. And about a year later, she ended up putting me forward for the Accelerate program, um, which is kind of this incubation program that Sephora run for up and coming female founders. And then at the end of that program is when I got offered the launch contract. And so it, it kind of happened over a period of like three or four years. Once we got to that point of getting the Sephora contract was when I really started seriously speaking to investors. I had been having conversations along the way, but that was when it got to the point where I was like, okay, this needs to be, there's a deadline on this now. We need to raise funds by X point and, you know, manage to kind of start closing things out relatively quickly uh, with some great partners and then launched basically six months later. 
it's such a long journey. And I think people see on Instagram, the final results, but not all the things that really like led up to that point. And I think the journey is not as fast as people anticipate. And I think with social now, everyone wants everything to happen almost instantly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there is so much, I mean, that's the story of like the top line story, but there's also so much in between all of that, that people don't see. Uh, And to your point, it's, it's a long and (laughs) pretty arduous journey, but yeah, you you see the results on Instagram. (laughs) And the Sephora Accelerate program for people that don't know what it is, what is it? And how do you even get to be a part of something like this? So Sephora Accelerate is, it's kind of a a program that Sephora run as their way to support the beauty ecosystem and specifically female founders within that ecosystem. So your brand can be at almost any stage. Um, For us, we were pre-launch. There were definitely a few other pre-launch brands in my cohort. And then for some, it's brands that are already in market and they're looking to kind of move to the next step of their brand. So Sephora basically take you in, they put you through a boot camp, and you get to basically pick the brains of all of the Sephora executives. Um, They bring in external experts as well. um, And you go over almost every facet of your brand. So from branding, marketing, supply chain, finance, like all of the things that you may need help with, um, you just get the opportunity to tap into some amazing, amazing experts and executives. And Sephora really guided you on that process. For us, you know, it was pre-COVID. So we got to be part of the bootcamp in San Francisco. And then you come back at the end, um, you go back to your country. So everyone from all over the world after the boot camp uh, for about, you know, four to five months. And then you go back to San Francisco uh, and you present at a demo day in front of a room of, you know, 100 plus investors and industry people. And depending on what you want for your brand, that can be an opportunity for you to actually pitch for funding. It can also just be an opportunity to really connect with people in the industry, whether it's like retailers or investors or potential vendors or whoever it might be. But it's an incredible program. And it really does for us really did accelerate our brand. Uh, And you also get to meet, you know, incredible founders from all over the world. I think for this year, Sephora focused on US-based founders, um, but typically in the kind of older style of program, it was people from Australia and France and China and Singapore and Brazil. Um, So it was, yeah, it was an amazing experience and, and one that genuinely put our brand in a position where we could scale and we could raise funds um, and we could launch. And you're based in Australia and Sephora that you sell is here in the US. Is there a big difference for you of having products and a brand being Australian-based selling in the US? Or do you find that the consumers are very similar and the way you kind of market is similar? I think what's interesting is that, you know, the US is our key market and I am stuck here in Australia for the time being. So that in itself has been um, challenging because you have to manage team from abroad and our team is basically global at the moment. But I think the challenges are different and the market is different and the way that we speak to our customers is slightly different. But the need is kind of still the same. Like this issue with the texture to hair category exists in so many different places and not just the US. The US is obviously massive. And so the problem and the gap to fill there is huge as well. But, you know, in the UK, in Australia, like it's kind of the same. You can't get access to the right products. 
you know, the industry doesn't feel like it's really talking to you as a consumer of colour or as a consumer who has textured hair. The status quo tends to be straight hair. Uh, and that's true for all countries. And so the way that we kind of speak to our customer and the way that we market is pretty similar. And what I think is so interesting too is everyone has different paths to launching their business and you raise money pre-launch. How did you know that you needed to raise money or how much you needed to or when you needed to close? Because I think it's a very daunting process to even to even start meeting with investors. Yeah, definitely. I knew that we were going to raise um, from day dot. I knew that I wanted to create a big brand and I wanted us to grow quickly. And so I knew that we would need funding upfront in order to do that. And then, of course, having the Sephora as a launch partner meant that I knew we would have to raise. Um, There was no way that I'd be able to rely on my own savings, which, you know, to be honest, were completely depleted at that point. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, Approaching investors, I really just took it as a, you know, this is ideal and this is what we need. And if it doesn't happen, like we'll figure out another way. Uh, And I think if you go into it with that mindset, then you're okay with the outcome. And it actually makes you perform better. I mean, it does for me anyway. If I'm like, you know what, if this works out, great. If it doesn't, uh, I'll work out plan B, plan C, plan D, whatever it is. Um, And I think that gives you a lot of confidence um, to really approach these conversations with the mindset of, you know, it's not just an opportunity for us to get funding, but it's an opportunity for you as investors as well. And so I I knew from the get-go that we would have to raise. In terms of how much we raised, we really based it on, you know, what do the projections look like with Sephora? What do they look like with our D2C? Exactly how much are we going to actually have to spend? And also giving us a bit of a buffer, because I think if you're raising pre-seed, you can have all the planning in the world. You can have, you know, all the forecasts in the world. But at the end of the day, you never know what's going to happen when you launch. And for us, it was very interesting because we closed and then COVID happened. <laughs> so um, we did raise slightly above what we thought we would need. And that was a really good tactic. And I think, you know, even outside of something like a COVID experience happen happening, um, you should still raise slightly more than you need. Um, and so for us, we ended up raising about $2 million which a lot of that goes towards product and really just setting up the infrastructure that you need to be able to launch with a retailer like Sephora, because it's a lot, you know, it's product, but then it's also, you know, making sure all of your marketing is in place. There's a lot of operations and logistics and supply chain. And especially for us, since one of our products was made in Australia. Um, So doing import, export, especially in the middle of, you know, ports closing and getting samples from all around the world and then, you know, having to approve those while we're all in different countries. So it was a a long process and a lot of steps and a lot of logistics involved um, that we knew we would need significant funds to execute. Taking a quick break to tell you about one of the podcast sponsors, because you know it's always weather appropriate, Fine Jewelry. With this fall, it is all about the details and Missouri is here to make sure your wardrobe transitions a smooth one. Missouri makes fine jewelry for every day minus the traditional 10% markup. They have new limited edition drops every Monday and instead of seasonal releases like more traditional retailers, they have fresh picks every week for every style. I love their jewelry and I feel like no matter what, I'm usually always wearing at least one piece from them. And whenever I post it on Instagram, you guys are like, where is this jewelry from? And I'm always like, Missouri, I love them because their pieces are fairly priced, handcrafted and ethically sourced and made to last. They have 14 karat solid gold staples that don't wear out or scratch easily. And 14 karat is much more durable than 18 karat gold. So think no more green fingers or fine jewelry that oxidizes. Their 18 karat gold vermeil is a much thicker layer of 18 karat solid gold over sterling silver. And it's nothing like gold plating. 
Also, they have sterling silver, freshwater pearls, ethically sourced diamonds, and milestone pieces for every budget and for everyone, including women's, men's, and unisex pieces guaranteed to elevate your fall wardrobe. So if you need help deciding, try virtual shopping. They have live chat with the Missouri stylist one-on-one. Get your answers to your most burning questions answered and questions you might have on how do I style this or can I mix metals or what's my size. So if you're ready to try Missouri Fine Jewelry, I've got a code for you. Visit Missouri.com slash Mariana for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I.com slash Mariana for 10% off your first order. Now let's hear more from Mabha. Raising money, not all money is good money. And, you know, I've gone through the process too. And I feel like you end up meeting people and you kind of just have a gut feeling of if someone's the right partner or not. But how did you know they were the right partner for you? Because it is like a marriage. Like you are selling essentially a piece of your business and you're you're in business with these people now. Yeah, it really is very much like a marriage. Um, and to your point, you absolutely get a gut feeling. You really know. I think for, for me, it was very much based on the questions that investors would ask. And we ended up partnering with Imaginary who you know, their style of questioning and the things that they wanted to know really signaled to me that they absolutely understood what we're trying to do. Um, And I think you can often be in conversations with investors where you're like, I really like them, but based on the questions that they're asking, I can tell that there's going to be some friction down the track because it doesn't really feel like they actually understand what I'm trying to build. Or if they would reference, you know, competitors in the space where they're like, oh, it's a bit like this. And if they were way off, I was like, no, <laughs> this is, you're not quite getting it. Um, and so I really felt like, you know, in my conversations with Imaginary, they understood exactly what we were going for. And that kind of laid the foundation for us to have a really fruitful relationship moving forward. Um, but you also just get that gut feeling. <laughs> you meet with someone and you think, you know what, I don't know if I want to get in this marriage for, you know, the next five, 10 you know, it could be longer and you, you, you do have to rely a lot on gut feeling, but then also track record as well. You know, Imaginary have invested in a lot of brands that we would consider peers or would want to consider as our peers. Um, and so that helped a lot too. Yeah. Imaginary is amazing. They have such a great portfolio. What I think the benefit is of being with someone like them or someone who does have other similar brands in their portfolio that you admire and look up to is everyone's so open and willing to share information. So everyone's succeeding together. Mm -hmm. And if you need an intro, which is actually how we met, um, is Mm -hmm. like through them. And so they're so willing and open to help. And so it gives you such a great network of people, especially when you can't be present here in the U.S. right now. Exactly. Yeah. They've been great. And then as far as your products, um, what's your best seller and how do you think about your product assortment? Oh my gosh. So this is such a great question because we launched thinking that one product would be our hero. And like all of our planning was based around like, yes, this is the hero. And then once we got into market, it just completely flipped. It was not what we were expecting. So our bestseller is our hair oil and our kit. So the kit is really our kind of wash day kit. It includes all of the products and it's very much routine focused. It's like, what is the start of your routine? It's washing your hair. So that's where we started. And that is actually now our number one seller. So it really kind of goes to show that people are very, very into routine and this idea of kind of getting everything in in one box and not having to piecemeal and and pick things from lots of different brands. But if you can give them like a suite of products that is just going to do that one thing for them, that's really resonating. And then the hair oil, which is like becoming 
like our hero completely. Everybody loves the hair oil. And the great thing about hair oil is that it is very universal. So it works across textures. All you change really is the way that you use the product. Um, So the hair oil is silicone free, which is really resonating with people a lot. I think a lot of oils in the market do have silicone in them. And if you have curly hair or you have really textured hair, it's not great for the hair over time. Uh, And so people have been looking for that and something we've been able to provide with a really efficacious product that people love. And it's infused with Australian kakadu plum and it smells amazing. (laughs) Uh, So people love the hair oil. And then another kind of one that came out of the gate that we weren't expecting was our hair wash. And it is, you know, a hair and scalp cleanser, essentially a shampoo uh, that people love. And I love the feedback that we've had on that. We've had multiple people say that it has changed their hair life, (laughs) which is amazing. And it's got, I think, maybe like six or seven awards at this point. So those are kind of our, our heroes right now. But definitely the hair oil as a single product, as the one to try if you want to try one thing. And then for the the kit, how do you recommend using the wash, mask, and oil and and the really cute hair uh, scrunchie that comes with it? Yeah, so it's very much about a quick and simple wash day. So you wash with hair wash, first and foremost. Um, And if you have very textured and curly hair, it's best to section the hair. Um, So in four parts, or if you have a lot of hair, you can even section it into six parts Um, and really just rubbing the pads of your fingers on your scalp to work that into the scalp and cleanse your scalp. Because that's really what you're trying to do when you wash your hair Uh, and then taking it down the ends of the hair and giving it a little bit of friction, not too much. But hair wash is super, super gentle. It's kind of like a milky texture and has been inspired by gentle cleansers in skincare. So the actual um, cleansing ingredient that you find in there is one that you often find in skin. Um, So it's very gentle. It's not going to knot and detangle the hair. It's actually got quite a bit of slip in it. Uh, And then once you've rinsed that out, you apply the hair mask, which is also infused with Australian kakadu plum. Um, And that, again, you would apply in sections, kind of rake it into the hair with your fingers, leave it on for 10 or so minutes, um, and then add a little more water and start detangling. So you want to detangle your hair at that point and really use water to brush through the hair uh, and then rinse everything out. And then once you get out of the shower, you can apply a little bit of hair oil uh, to your wet hair, or you can wait till it's dry as well, but I like to apply a little bit to my hair when it's wet. Um, And then you can let it air dry or diffuse or do whatever kind of styling you ordinarily would do. Um, So just really quick and simple. And, you know, the the hair mask doesn't contain silicones either. So you're not going to get that silicone buildup. You still get a lot of slip so that you can easily detangle the hair. Uh, And then you use the bread puff, which is our satin scrunchie. Uh, and you can use that for styling during the day. You can use it overnight to help maintain your curls or your hair um, just so that it's not going to snag and pull on your delicate locks and cause breakage um, in the way that general hair ties do. Bread puff is such a cute name. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thanks. It's so cute. You know, all beauty brands and brands in general have their struggles, but what are some of the hardest parts about having a hair care brand specifically? I think probably one of the biggest struggles is that hair care as a category is a little bit further behind than the general industry. So um, skincare and makeup have kind of had a bit of a renaissance and especially in skincare where consumers are quite well versed and understanding, you know, 
the science of their skin and how to look after it. Hair is still, I would say, like 10 years behind. Um, and especially for textured and curly hair, the industry is kind of at that stage where there's not a lot of really direct, simple, punchy education. Um, and people don't know a lot about the science of their hair and how their hair works. Uh, so really a big challenge for us as a brand is like, how do we educate consumers in a way that they'll understand and don't have to rely on the salon or their hairdresser because that has tended to be where the majority of the education comes from, but it's not necessarily an unbiased source. So we really have to focus on how we educate the customer and how we do that in a really, really simple way because it can be incredibly overwhelming. <laughs> um, and then, of course, there's all of the, the, the challenges that come with owning a brand in general and also being in another country. Um, and managing teams from abroad. Um, so, you know, lots of <laughs> challenges to overcome, especially in COVID times, but um, it's all part of the journey. And I'd like to think of every day as a, a mini challenge and a mini game. And, you know, you have to kind of just keep pushing forward because there are so many times every single day, every single hour where, you know, you want to give up. Um, but then the next hour, something amazing happens and you remember why you're doing what you're doing. Yes, definitely. I have a morning like gratitude journal I write in every day. And I used to be like so stressed out in the beginning of my day, but now I say like, oh, I'm so grateful I have a busy day or I'm so grateful for these opportunities. And so changing my mindset and remembering those things at the beginning of the day have been really helpful for me. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, the last year has been challenging. So how have you had to rethink your marketing or marketing spend? I mean, hair is great because I think people are still washing their hair and, you know, using products every day. So it hasn't been like makeup, but is there other different ways you're thinking about like the marketing messaging around bread? Yeah, definitely. It's actually been kind of interesting because we, our kind of brand ethos, ethos is simplicity and doing things quickly and, you know, having like a busy day where you don't have a lot of time to wash your hair and all of those things. But now that we're in COVID times and people are spending more time at home, um, there's a little more time that people like to spend on their hair care specifically. And so we haven't necessarily changed our messaging around that, but I think we're more cognizant of the fact that people want a, like a much more rich experience at home versus something where they're getting like in and out of the shower where it was before, where people, you know, have, don't want to spend half a day on wash day. Whereas now it's like, actually, you know, maybe I do want to take my Sunday as a self-care day. So that's something that we've been, you know, thinking about and, and how we speak to customers moving forward. But I think we have always planned to focus digitally. And so we didn't necessarily need to change anything. I would have loved to have been able to activate, you know, in real life for the brand, um, which is something that we haven't been able to do yet. But other than that, I think everything else has not necessarily changed so much. Um, I think because to your point, it's it's hair care and it's something that people are continuing to do while in um, even in lockdown. So yeah, not not a lot has changed, but we definitely have to focus a lot more on like online and how we're building community there and how we're speaking to people there and ways also that we can support creators who, you know, have really kind of suffered quite a lot throughout COVID and brands having to pull back budget and all of those things and being really, really cognizant of the types of creators that we're supporting and making sure that as a brand, where we can, we're continuing to support that ecosystem. Yeah. And I was going to ask too, as a new brand, how are you building brand awareness, especially if it's mostly digital right now, or what can other new brands do if they aren't able to do things in person or have in real life events? 
Yeah. So our launch focus was definitely a lot on um, like press and influencers. I mean, it's a boring answer, but I think influencers is still <laughs> is still the most um, impactful answer. And we took a little bit more of a an organic approach. So we haven't done any paid influencer activations. Uh, everything's been completely organic and wanting to build out the authority of the brand with people who genuinely love the product. And so we did a lot of seeding. We've done a lot of press and speaking to editors and getting our name out there. Um, and then, of course, where we can, really leveraging that Sephora partnership um, for awareness too. Uh, I think that that's one of the best, um, you know, uh, positives that you get from having a retail relationship is you really get to speak to that audience that the retailer already has. And then, you know, speaking globally, that's something that we focused on too. So we launched with Cult Beauty in the UK quite quickly after launch because we were getting a lot of inbound from the UK. Uh, and a lot of that had to do with influencers and really getting our product in the hands of influencers. And I think it's also a matter of like really focusing on what your product looks like so that it's something people want to share, not just because they love the product, but it's like really easy to share online and, and to create nice imagery with or um, something different that they can have in their feed or on their stories. The imagery, like the packaging and everything you have is so beautiful. How did you think about what you wanted the brand to look like? Because it is so poppy. I, it's so eye-catching and it looks so good in photos. Thank you. Um, so with our pouches, uh, one, I knew that we needed large formats. So our hair mask is about 12 ounces. And I knew that, you know, having a 12 ounce product meant it would be a lot of plastic if we were to put that in a bottle. So we ended up putting things in pouches. And I also knew because I wanted the brand to exist in Sephora in a retail location that I had to have faces on our packaging. I knew that, you know, this person that was going into Sephora and maybe shopping for skincare and makeup wasn't necessarily shopping for hair because, she didn't feel like there was a brand there for her. I knew that if we were on a shelf and someone knew absolutely nothing about our brand, how could we make sure that they saw us and that they knew we were there for like curly and textured hair? And so that's why we put faces on the pouches. So it's like you could be walking through a store and you're not there to buy hair care, but you might catch us in the corner of your eye and realize that this is a product for you. And then with our hair oil, you know, we really wanted to make the brand feel elevated um, and we put that in glass so that people can reuse the bottles and we can really focus on sustainability. Um, and a lot of it was really just like ideas that popped into my mind <laughs> that I wanted to see in real life and I really wanted to, to create. So it was, it was driven a lot by that and what would look beautiful in a feed. Well, it definitely does. And I love the brand. So where can everybody buy bread? Uh, so you can buy bread on sephora.com. You can buy it on breadbeautysupply.com and also in select Sephora stores. Uh, so we're in about 110 Sephora stores in the US. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and congratulations on everything. And I love the brand. Oh, Mariana, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to subscribe to my podcast and rate and review because it would mean so much to me and follow me on Instagram at Mariana underscore Hewitt to see what episodes are coming up next.